Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about a unique solution to long-term care funding needs is Lisa Rayberg. Lisa is president of Rayberg Life Insurance Settlements, a life insurance settlements broker. Lisa has been in the health and life insurance industries for over 30 years. Lisa is energized by helping clients benefit from unwanted or unneeded life insurance policies. Rayburg Life Insurance Settlements represents clients to maximize their value of their policy. Lisa holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in Finance and a Master of Arts degree in Organizational Development. Thank you for being here today, Lisa. How are you? It's a privilege, Jason. Thank you so much. Doing great. Yes, ma'am. Great. So before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, for those of you that are joining us today, if you have any questions, type it there in the box and we will do everything in our power, time permitting at the end to get to, to the questions. So let's get started today, Lisa. A unique solution to long-term care funding needs? Right, what is that? So we're <laughs> gonna be talking about an asset that okay. many people do not know they have that is acts just like their house, a car, anything that they can sell. And once again, most people don't know they have it. And it's their life insurance policy. People know they have life insurance, but they right. don't know that they can sell it, that it's an asset that you own. So that's what we're going to be talking about. So let's, let's talk about first, why would anyone want to sell their life insurance policy? <laughs> and where my passion lies is in this statistic, 500,000 seniors a year will lapse their life insurance policies. Now, what does lapse mean? Lapse means that they stop making the premium payments on it and they let it go. I call it throwing it in the trash, but they let it go and they let it go for little or nothing. Why? Because they don't need the policy anymore. They don't want the policy anymore. Maybe the policy is just not affordable anymore and they don't know that there is another option besides surrendering it or lapsing it. So let's talk about real quickly why would anyone want to think about selling a life insurance policy? And I alluded to it earlier. Don't need it, don't want it, can't afford it. So these are the seven most common reasons, but mm -hmm. clearly there's 500,000 different reasons. Everybody's situation is unique, but typically it could be a business owner who's just sold their business and they don't need uh, the key person policy. It could be someone who's retired and maybe now they're on a limited income and don't, you know the life insurance premiums just don't fit in their budget anymore. The house is paid off um, because they're retired. They don't need the income replacement. You know they bought the policy 15, 20, 30 years ago, right. or maybe when um, uh, if something happened to one spouse, the other spouse would be taken care of. But now they're retired. They, you know they're fine. Kids are out of the house. Could be a spouse has passed away. Um, maybe it's a de uh, decline in estate value or could be a decrease in tax liability. What I mean by that is the 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act raised the exemption for estate taxes, essentially doubled it. So many people who purchase life insurance policies to pay estate taxes no longer need the policy. Right. Maybe some of the term policy, right, coming to an end, or maybe some of their conversion privileges are coming to an end. Once again, don't need it. Um, policy is no longer affordable due to policy performance. This one is really, I see it a lot. And what I mean by that is policies that were written late 90s, 2000s, maybe the middle 90s, when they were purchased were what we call illustrated. There is um, 
a chart, if you will, that shows how cash grows in a policy. And at the time, the interest rate environment was such that the illustrations were 6 and 7%. Right? Like the cash on policy grows at 6 or 7%. We haven't been in that environment in quite some time, right? A decade, decade and a half. So what's happening is the cash in the policies is being chewed up. And where people thought the policy was going to last a lot longer, now they're finding themselves late 70s, early 80s with very little cash in the policy or no cash in the policy, and they need to pay a lot in premiums to keep the policy going. So, for example, I have a client who has a $500,000 policy. He has no cash in it. It's all been chewed up. And the premiums to continue are $2,500 a month. That's a lot. So there's an example. Oh, chronic illness. Maybe someone's looking for funding for assisted living, home care, uh, uh, memory care. So there's a lot of different reasons, obviously, why someone want to sell their life insurance policy. So thank you. Let's let's go back to the basics. What is a life insurance settlement, Lisa? <laughs> right. What is this <laughs> thing? Yes. So I have, I'm a, a senior, let's just say. I have this policy. Um, what is a life insurance settlement? It is literally... A financial transaction. It is literally the ability to sell your life insurance policy for cash. And who buys these policies? Investor groups buy these policies. Hedge funds, mutual funds, banks, other insurance companies who don't want you to know they're doing this. The state of Michigan has $600 million invested in life settlements. So bottom line is it's big institutional money typically that's buying these policies. They're paying cash today as an investment. So what happens is they become the new owner of the policy, they will pay the premium, and they will receive the death benefit when the policy matures. So basically that's why the client receives cash today from an asset, right? And the investor receives an investment and that's how the whole transaction works. So that's what a life insurance settlement is. Well, I gotta tell you, the, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about the settlement, I'm thinking, well, what's it worth, right? Isn't that where the first, first place people go is, what am I getting out of this, right? right? Right, that's exactly it. And it is so specific to each individual client, but I will give some examples. So okay. I think the easiest way to, to explain how much a policy worth is if we could all put ourselves into, um, put our Warren Buffett hats on. Warren Buffett's okay. been investing in these since the mid-90s. So if we are an investor group, here's typically what they look at. How much premium are they gonna have to pay? For how long? Meaning that um, how, what do they think someone's life expectancy is? And frankly, the shorter someone's life expectancy, the more money an investor group is willing to pay. The smaller the premium, the more money an investor group is willing to pay. And the third component is the death benefit they're going to receive. Obviously, the higher the death benefit, the more money an, uh, an investor group is willing to pay. So I will tell you, there are policies that we can't sell but there are policies that can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I'm gonna give you a couple um, client examples that we are working on today. I have a million dollar policy that I'm selling for $360,000. I have a million dollar policy I'm selling for $70,000. And I have a million dollar policy that I can't sell. Um, wow. And the reason, right? There, so it's yeah. all over the map. Very um, I, I have a $250,000 policy that we sold for $128,000. I have a $250,000 policy I've sold for $8,000. Wow. 
So once again, it's just a combination of all three of those big factors, and each investor group has their own specifics that they're looking for, but generally that's what they're looking for. So the bottom line here is a policy can be worth a few thousand, a policy can be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. We have a client right now doesn't need her policy anymore. It's a $150,000 policy, and we're selling it for $23,000. So it's a really good way to find um, found money. Once again, the shorter someone's life expectancy, the more money um, they're willing to, to pay for policies. This conversation you have with people, how, how do they digest that when you, when you kind of, like you just did with the examples, how, how can they you know, wrap their head around the fact that, okay, they have a million dollar policy that may not be worth much? I mean, what, what do you tell them? Well, sure. So first of all, the beautiful thing about what we do is no client is ever obligated to take any offers that we receive. So if, for instance, the offer isn't high enough, they just say, not going to sell it for that. But remember, typically the clients that we are talking to are going to drop their policy. They're going to get rid of it. So they're going to get rid of it for nothing or very little. So point is, is that really what we get them is much better than the alternative of dropping it. Um, and I will tell you, on average, and we know how averages are, but mm -hmm. on average, Studies have shown, in fact, the London Business School just did one in 2014, but studies have shown that through a life insurance settlement, we can garner three to five times cash surrender value. So once again, I have a $100,000 policy we're selling right now. A uh, gentleman has $25,000 of cash in it, and we're going to get another $5,000. So he's like, great. I'm going to, you know, I was going to let this policy go. I was going to cash it out. And you're getting me the five thousand dollars, so why not? Yeah, it's funny. You just uh, one of our uh, attendees just had that question, that very question. So this is different than cashing in a policy. It is completely different than cashing in a policy. You are literally selling your think your house. This is a very similar situation to selling your house. Your house is an asset that you own. You sell it. You transfer it to somebody else. Your life insurance policy is an asset that you own. You're transferring it to someone else. When you sell your house, someone else takes over the house payments, right? You're done with it. You received your money. Someone else takes over the house payments. They own the house. It is exactly the same situation here. Interesting. I know that I have a few more questions, but let's move forward uh, to once you get these proceeds, what can you what can you do with them? Here's the here's the short answer. Anything. <laughs> anything anything you want. So it's a beautiful way to help pay for long-term care needs. Maybe someone, once again, needs assisted living. Maybe someone needs memory care. I've spoken to clients who are looking for funds. Maybe they need funds up front, or maybe someone's been in assisted living for you know, five, six, seven years, and the funds are starting to run low. This can be a really good way to fund that. Maybe someone wants to do a combination of both. Maybe they want to give to their, their uh, favorite nonprofit and help fund medical expenses. Maybe someone needs home modifications to make it more um, accessible, right? As we, as we get older, sometimes we need to widen Major doorways place. or put in ramps, right? Yep. Uh, it can supplement income and go around the world cruise. Literally, whatever you want to do, um, you can do with the funds. They, they really are unrestricted. But once again, I think it's a, a great funding solution for in the right circumstances. 
um, for long-term care. And it's, once again, it's a found asset that people don't know they have. Yeah. You know, when you and I first started talking, Lisa, a couple months back, you you said to me very plainly, a lot of people don't know about this, that this has been around for a while. And then you, you made a point, I actually have it written down, and you say many financial planners and insurance agents have neither heard of this nor are unsure about it. So I'm, this, this might help us uh, go into a little bit more detail. I will. Thank you. So it's been legal in the United States since 1911. Now, I'm an insurance geek. I've been in the insurance world for 30 years. I love the backstory on Grigsby versus Russell. And I don't know how much time we have. Jason, do we have two minutes for me Let's to go into the back? Let's do it. Okay. Lisa. All right. We're in it. Geek it, okay. geek it up here. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So Grigsby versus Russell. Backstory. Grigsby is a Dr. Grigsby and then and Mr. Russell. So what happens with this is there's a gentleman named Mr. Bouchard. Mr. Bouchard um, is a fairly wealthy man at the time. He buys a life insurance policy. He makes a couple premium payments, and he falls on hard times. He goes to see Dr. Grigsby. Dr. Grigsby um, is obviously a physician, and he needs Mr. Bouchard needs surgery. Doesn't have the money to pay. So Dr. Grigsby says, "I will buy your life insurance policy, and um, again do the surgery now." I am not real sure that I'd sell my policy to my surgeon. <laughs> but, my, just so you know, my thoughts were going all over the place in this one, yeah. but go ahead. <laughs> yes, but Mr. Bouchard did. And in Dr. Grigsby's defense, Mr. Bouchard lived about okay. another year and passed away. Now, you can start seeing what happens. Mr. Russell is Mr. Bouchard's executor. So you can kind of see what's going on here. Dr. Mm -hmm. Grigsby saying, I bought that policy, that, that death benefit's mine. Mr. Russell saying, no, 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 that death benefit's ours. Well, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, in his statement of decision, deemed a life insurance policy an asset that you and I own. And we can transfer that asset to anybody we want. So, Jason, today... I can transfer my life insurance policy to you with a change of, right, bring it, with a bring change of ownership form. Yep, don't tell my husband. No, nope, I um, don't. With a change of ownership form, it's just a signature on a piece of paper. I can do that. So that's why it's legal since 1911, but nothing happens until the 1980s and the AIDS epidemic hit. And if we remember back then when someone was diagnosed with AIDS, there was not a long life expectancy. There's, what, two years, three years, somewhere around there. So AIDS patients were selling their policies to go get experimental treatment, go over the last round-the-world cruise, whatever it is. So back in the days there, they were called viaticals. So if someone's been in the financial planning world for a while, the insurance world for a while, they remember those days, and it was like the Wild West. It was a little crazy. So that's why if someone's heard of them, like, oh, those viatical things, I'm not real sure about them. We're in a completely different world today, which is why I love life insurance settlements. Today, we are highly regulated, unlike the 80s, highly regulated by departments of insurance across the country, not only on our side of it, the life settlement broker side of it, but the investor side of it as well. Many of them have to register with the state. They have to tell the states the policies that they have uh, purchased. And there's a lot of consumer disclosures, including beneficiaries need to sign off. And many times a letter of competency needs to be signed by the client's doctor. So it's really important. It's very transparent. Um, it's, 
And that's why life insurance settlements are where we are today. But many people can, maybe financial people go, oh, those viatical things. Not where we are today. Completely different world. Lisa, real quick, uh, is that viatical with a V or B or viatical with a B? We have uh, somebody sure. asking. Oh, good. V is in Victor, I-A-T-I-C-A-L. Now, viaticals are still here today. They are, and we do work on them, but they're not the bulk of the market. So viaticals typically are defined um, as people of uh, two years of life expectancy or less, life insurance settlements two years or more. It's the same process typically, um, but that, that's the difference. I mean, viaticals are still here. They're just not a very big part of the market. Interesting. Well, before we get into it, how does I have a couple questions actually, and actually a few more questions from people, uh, the attendees. How long does would you say that this process would take, and and where does somebody start? Do they start with their financial advisor, their CPA? So if somebody that's watching this or, or listening to this down the road, and they said I need to go ahead and explore this, how do you recommend people get started? That's a really good question. So a couple of different ways. Yes, we always like people to talk to their financial advisors and their insurance professionals and their legal professionals and whoever they feel comfortable with talking, right? This is not for everybody. It shouldn't be for everybody. But where, once again, if someone's going to get rid of their life insurance, policy, they've talked to their advisors and everybody says, you don't need this thing anymore. This could be a really good way. Now, this is a three to five month process. So once again, think real estate. Right. And for us to find out how much a policy is worth, it's gonna, to do it right, it's going to take us 60 to 90 days. So this is not something that funds tomorrow, something to really take a look at. And the beautiful thing is, and we talked about it earlier, there's no obligation. So there's no application fees up front. There is an application and some sign-offs, some HIPAA sign-offs and things like that because we have to get medical records. But nobody has to go to the doctor. Nobody has to get blood work done. No one has to do any of that. We get the medical records. We take care of all that because that's how the investors underwrite what they think someone's life expectancy is. So point is, it takes us 60 to 90 days to get those records and, for lack of a better word, shop the policy of the marketplace because our role is to get the most money for someone's policy that we, per that we possibly can. We have access to about 30 different investor groups, so three to five months. Um, no, once again, no application fees. There's no obligation. So if we don't get offers, at least you know if you're going to get rid of life insurance policy, you're not losing any money. You're not leaving any money on the table, right? And then if we do get offers that no one that you don't like, don't have to take them. Walk away. Not a problem at all. So if I said to you, is there an ideal time that somebody needs to start the process with you? We know it takes that three to five to six months. When, is, when do you think is, I think we find a lot of times people are just very reactive as opposed to being proactive. What would you say if I said, here is the perfect example for somebody to start the process? When do you think that would start? Uh, okay, so two things. First of all, we can sell term policies. So anyone listening that has a term policy, number okay. one, look at when your term is ending. And more importantly, here's two questions. Call your insurance agent or call the insurance company. Number one, is my policy still convertible? Convertible into something more permanent. Because if you have a term policy, it ends. An investor group is not excited about buying something that ends, right? They want something that continues, typically. Not always, but typically, 98% of the time. So number one, 
call your insurance company or agent, is my policy convertible? And number two, when is the conversion deadline? And th here's the answer to your question, Jason. About six months prior to that conversion deadline is really the time to start looking at this and start the process. Okay, because there's plenty of time. No one's under stress. We can do it the right way. Conversely, if someone has a universal life policy or a whole life policy that is that is a permanent policy, just give it time. Just know that it is going to take us a good 90 days. If you have four months, it's even better um, for us to do this right. I mean, it can be. Don't get me wrong. It can be sooner. I've gotten doctor's records in a week, and in a week later, we have offers. It's like that's happening right now. But I also have a client right now where it's taken three months to get doctor's records, and I understand COVID-19, right? So point is. Just give it plenty of time. You're starting to feel the squeeze on the premiums or you're starting to, to feel like, okay, I really don't need this policy anymore. Let's start talking now. Um, talk to your financial advisors. Like I said, call us. We're happy to work with financial advisors and insurance agents. We do it every day. Um, if legal advisors would, however, you know, the client wants to work, we are here to do that and support that. We want to make sure that they're making the right decision for them. Okay. A couple other questions we're getting in. Are the funds, Lisa, from the sale taxable income? I'm going to qualify this by saying that I am not a tax advisor, right, and I am not a financial planner. Now, all that being said, there's my caveat. The yes. information that I have is that the premiums you've paid into the policy are a basis. So if the amount of the settlement is underneath the basis, typically that is not going to be taxable. I will tell you that clients will get 1099. But most of the time, it's underneath the basis, and they're fine. If it's over the basis, part of it could be ordinary income. It just depends. If it's a term policy, it probably won't. Um, if it is a permanent type of policy, possibly, but not usually, most of the time, it's going to be capital gains. So in a situation like this, do, is it best to loop? Like you kind of mentioned the real estate transaction. There's quite a few parties involved. Would you say in a situation where maybe this uh, you're talking to a client that didn't come from a CPA, do you recommend that they speak to their CPA to kind of just make sure they understand all of the implications for the sale of this policy? I have clients that are kind of all over the map. Some of them will talk to their okay. CPA ahead of time, right? Okay. Some of them will wait till they get an offer because it doesn't mean anything until you get an offer. So I have a client I just talked to, uh, what is it, I just talked to last Friday. And he says, you know, what? I gave him the offer. He says, Okay, before I accept it, let me talk to my tax professional because I want to understand the tax ramifications. So it just depends. Like I said, we always suggest people talk to somebody that in their, in their um, support world, right, insurance, financial, legal, taxes, whatever, just to make sure that they completely understand. Very good. Last question. I like this one. Is the amount that, let's just say as the broker, you get a couple of different investors that come back and they offer a number. Is that negotiable? Yeah, well, yes. So that's our job. That's what we do. Right. So this is not a situation where we just kind of throw it out in the universe and it's a bidding process. It is right. good old-fashioned phone work. You know, we have relationships. We, we utilize those relationships back and forth. And I'll go back uh, and show, give you a good example. Uh, I mentioned a client that we sold a $250,000 policy. And please understand, everybody's unique, right? So it's not something that happens uh, all the time or every day. It's a unique circumstance to everybody. But the opening offer on this policy was $15,000. And by the time we were done, it was $128,500. Now, how does that work? 
because in this particular case, we had multiple investor groups that were interested in this policy, and literally, it's back and forth to all of them going, okay, this is where we are now, you know, and we leveraged that to raise the, to raise the amount of money for the client. Point is, investor groups were, some of them were in there three and four times with three and four different offers. And we just keep going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So there, on that particular policy, there was probably about 15 different offers from, you know, A to Z. Uh, but that's what we do is basically try to drive up the price to get the most for the client that we can. And that's, mm-hmm. once again, that's the, that's a unique situation to that client. It happens like that sometimes. Sometimes we, we get like one offer because nobody else is interested. But once again, mm-hmm. clients can get rid of the policy, getting something for it that they, from an asset they didn't know they had. It's found money. Okay. Uh, I, one of the attendees just chimed in. So do you have a typical time when you have to respond to an offer? Is it like days, weeks, uh, a week, or is it just, you know, you get an offer, you go back to, is there a certain timetable? Well, so the answer to your question is it's, I always bring clients along. So what I'll tell them is, here's where we are right now. We're still working on it, so you don't have to make a decision. And okay. then here's where we are today. We're still working on it. You don't have to make a decision. And when we're starting to feel like we're running out of momentum, if you will, I will tell the client, okay, here's where we are now. Start thinking about this because this is, we're kind of running out of momentum. There's not a, you know, there's not a lot left here in terms of we don't, have, we don't think there's a whole lot of more upside. Start thinking about it. But the answer to the question is, that once we have that final offer where we think, okay, this is it, it, it's not going to stay out there for a month, right? But it's not going to stay out there for hours either. You're going to have time to make a decision. Uh, you're going to have some days, maybe a week, maybe two, you know, maybe two weeks. It depends. I mean, some investors are more antsy than others. But point is, it's not like, oh, my gosh, you have to make a decision right this second. No. You're going to have some time to call your CPAs. And it, once again, financial planners, insurance people, um, and talk it through. You have time to think about it. It's totally fair. A week is not uncommon. More than that is not uncommon. Okay. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. This has been enlightening. I know from the time, I guess the time that we started talking, it's a lot to take in. It really is. And so how can somebody reach you if they want to have the conversation? Yeah, thank you. And we are delighted um, to have conversations and just talk through any policy at all, anytime. So on the screen, you can see uh, my phone number, 714, area code 349 714-349-7981. We're here in Southern California. Uh, my email is L-R-E-H. B-U-R-G, that's B as in boy, U-R-G as in George, at AOL. So L-R-E-H-B-U-R-G at AOL, my first initial last name. You could tell I've had it for a long time, and it's just easier than Lisa at RayburgLifeSettlements.com. Um, or we have our website, RayburgLifeSettlements.com. It has articles on there, blogs, information, Q&A. Um, there's a lot of information on that website at all, but we're here, and we're delighted to be of service and talk through any policy. So I'm so grateful uh, to the listeners, thank you for attending. Jason, thank you for your time. Um, just want to raise visibility that there's options here in case it's the right fit. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Lisa. Um, really good information. So that is our time here. Uh, Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar with Knowledgeable Aging.